0: Welcome to Odds Bodkins Curiosity Shop, where you'll find the unique, the bizarre, and sometimes the haunted. Feel free to look around, peruse the items, and never fear. There's nothing here that bites. Hard, anyway. <laughs> Well, hello there. So pleased to see you've returned once again to Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop. I am your shopkeeper, Chris Baker, and today we have got quite the extraordinary item. It may look like a simple collection of moths and butterflies as we pull the frame down off the wall. But if you notice closely, the centerpiece in this collection of moths and butterflies happens to go by the name of Rothschildia orizaba, or more commonly known as the orizaba silk moth, and a moth that is often tied to what is known as the obsidian butterfly and the Aztec god Itzpapalot, And sometimes if you look closely enough, you'll see a little movement from this long dead moth and a season of rebirth in it. And that strangely leads us into the topic of today's episode. So let's pull out the mutoscope and take a look at the Netflix film, No One Gets Out Alive. Now, No One Gets Out Alive is a movie that debuted at the end of September of last year, and it was one of those movies I heard lots of good things about, but never really took the opportunity to watch it because September and October were just loaded with so many movies and so many TV shows that I I wanted to talk about here on the, on the podcast, and just the idea of trying to squeeze one more in that I, I might not even get a chance to talk about for some time. Uh, just, I... I was a little overloaded, so I decided to put off watching this until the new year. And wow, was I wrong in doing that? I really wish I would have watched this sooner because No One Gets Out Alive was uh, a very enjoyable movie right off the bat. It's based off a novel by Adam Neville. And if you don't know who Adam Neville is, but you did watch... Netflix's movie The Ritual, which I just absolutely love, just a stunning movie that uh, I kind of caught me by surprise, caught me off guard. Well, Adam Neville is the guy who wrote the novel in which The Ritual was based on. And there's kind of a a really cool tie in between the two movies that suggests they are in the same universe. We'll kind of talk about that here in a little bit, but No One Gets Out Alive really is a fantastic movie that it hits on a lot of horror levels. There's really some aspects of it that I thought, okay, this is this type of movie. And I was wrong about that. And then it turned out to be another type of movie. And it was just uh, more than I really expected, which is probably why I I felt like I was putting it off because maybe uh, I, I thought I had the movie figured out, which I did not have this movie figured out. So just want to say right off the bat that there are going to be some spoilers. I'm not going to tell you every little plot point of this movie, but I am going to talk about the movie in depth and some things are going to be spoiled for you if you haven't watched the movie yet like i said i'll give you a you know i'll spoil some there's going to be some big spoilers but i'm not going to tell you everything that happened so if you haven't watched the movie there are still going to be some some surprises and some things that oh he didn't talk about that well uh, there's good reason i don't want to i don't want to lay it all out online for you but i do want to talk about some of the really cool aspects of this movie and this story so be careful for spoilers from here on out now the movie starts with the opening credits uh we see this archival film footage from a uh, archeological dig back in I believe nineteen sixty three I think is the date uh it's it's down in in Mexico uh it's you know very Aztec in nature and and we do find out this is a Aztec ruins I believe the the Aztec capital city I'm not gonna butcher the name but but you get the drift and we see a lot of uh a lot of the archaeological uh discoveries and discovery of this stone box that's surrounded by these moths and it goes from that archival footage to this uh, young woman she's in this dark darkly lit room we're not exactly sure and we're really dropped right in the middle of this uh she's speaking i believe it's portuguese uh talking about how she she wishes she could come home and then all of a sudden some supernatural chicanery happens and we assume she's killed off screen, but during this whole scene, the box makes an appearance. Oddly enough, it makes an appearance because it doesn't make an appearance like this in any of the other uh, situations throughout the movie. So it's really hard to tell, you know, looking back, what this was all about. But it really does kind of set the table for the atmosphere and the WTF nature of some of the aspects of this film and this story. Then we're introduced to our main character, uh, Ambar, played by Christina Rodlow, who does an excellent job with this movie. One of the things that I I really loved about this movie is that, of course, she uh, we first meet her. She's being smuggled into the U.S. Uh, she's an illegal immigrant. And it really kind of opens the eyes to the other side of the story. You know, everybody's all, oh, you know, illegal immigration, pounding their fists and, and, and all that sort of thing. And, and yeah, while you know, people should come in the right way. There are a lot of desperate people out there trying to make better lives for themselves. And this really puts you in the shoes of one of those people. She gets smuggled into the U.S., uh, she's here. She she finds like a cash under the table job uh, in, a, in a sewing factory. She's bouncing around trying to find a new place to live because she's constantly being asked for identification, which she does not have as an illegal immigrant. She's uh, working with this friend, Kinsey, who says she can get her uh, a fake ID and she finds a new place to live in this boarding house. Now, now when she goes to live in this boarding house, uh, there's a lot of red flags that come up because because one, it looks like a creepy old house. Uh, two, the the guy who runs it, he goes by the name Red, played by Mark Mancheca, who is one of those guys that I, I've not really watched anything that he's been in, but he's one of those guys Actors that he looks familiar. I, I can't place where I know him, and he's done he's done some movies. He's done a lot of TV, uh, you know, parts here and there on, on different shows. So I know I've run across him. I've seen him on something, uh, flipping through the channels or or what have you. But uh, but he's got one of those faces that you just can't place where you know him from. But you you've seen him before but red is running this boarding house he you know talks about this brother becker who has some illness and there are a lot of creepy rules to this boarding house one it's only women are allowed there uh, no guests everybody has to be back in by 9 p.m. just a lot of red flag creepy rules And it it further plays into the isolation of this character, Ambar. And they do it up really well. You know, one, she's an immigrant, illegal immigrant. She's here in the United States. She's got no one. Her only family here is a cousin that She's never really met before. Uh, She only has a a loose tie in with him later. She's working for a boss that really, you know, he's hiring a lot of illegal immigrants and he doesn't care whether they come or go. He just wants them to do their job. She moves to this this boarding house where it's got all these strange rules and it's kind of a theme throughout this of this character, Ambar, being trapped in in different things. Every situation she gets into, it's like she is trapped and she's alone and she has no one but herself. We find out that before she came to the United States, she was caring for her ailing mother and uh, and and was kind of trapped in that situation. She had to put off. I believe it talks about she had to put off going to school uh, to to take care of her mother. Then when her mother finally passed, she came to the United States for a better life. And now she's trapped because she's confined by the fact that she does not have identification. Uh, so there's only so much she can do work wise. And she's kind of trapped in this situation where she's just trying to make uh, as much money as she can to get this fake ID and and better herself. But like I said, she's trapped in this situation and, and until she can earn enough money. Now she's, for all intents and purposes, uh, not trapped in this house. But when the circumstances of this house change, she's still trapped in a degree. When things start to Uh, the shit hits the fan, so to speak, and she can't call the cops because they're going to find out she's an illegal immigrant and she's going to be deported. So she's really trapped by the circumstances of this house and and becomes even more trapped as we'll find out in the end of this movie, which I'm not going to talk about right now, but uh, we'll talk about that coming up. And she even, uh, to a degree, feels more trapped because she has this friend, Kinsey, who uh, she gives all her money to to help her get this, fake ID and Kinsey ends up running off with all of her money and it kind of plays into like I said this is uh, a lot of putting people in the shoes of the desperation of these illegal immigrants that are coming to the United States just to make a, a better life for themselves and for whatever reason they couldn't get in legally so they had to come in illegally and they're just they're just trying to make their way and it's Desperation all around. You've got this Kinsey character. You have to imagine she's got her own sorts of desperation, which led her to either play Ambar for this money or decide, you know, she was maybe she was literally going to help her, but then decided at the last minute. Maybe something happened to her. We don't know. We don't know what happened. All we know is that Kinsey disappears with all of Ambar's money, and now Ambar is again trapped because she has no money, she can't get this fake idea, uh, she's lost her job, and she's living in this house with all this creepy stuff going down. And that's where I think I was really, uh, maybe not misrepresented as to what this movie is about, but I I thought this was going to be one type of movie. And and based on like the first act, uh, maybe the first two acts of this film, I, I thought the movie was going to be one way. We see a lot of ghostly apparitions in this house. And I have to tell you, a lot of them were creepy AF. Uh, because they did these ghosts, uh, almost like bat-lit shadowy uh, figures. But they had these glowing eyes. And not like, not like too headlights or not like crappy digital effect glowing eyes it was they were very subtle it was almost like if you reflect light on a deer in a field or some animal in the woods uh, that light reflects and kind of bounces back at you it was that sort of effect very creepy kind of like the effect they did with the vampires glowing eyes in midnight mass very creepy very much played into the atmosphere of this. It's a dark, gritty atmosphere, very much like the ritual, which uh, was another Adam Adam Neville story. But we start seeing all these ghostly apparitions uh, showing up, and and I thought it was going to be one of these movies where okay, we're going to make the ghosts seem like they're the bad guys, but then the you got the creepy guys running the boarding house, and it's going to be that. Those ghosts are actually the victims of the creepy guys and they're going to help the damsel in distress uh, win the day with uh, supernatural chicanery and that's going to be your movie. And that's kind of what it felt like, but I found out that was not the case at all. Now before we get into where things kind of turned with this movie, I, I brought up Adam Neville again, the author who wrote uh, No One Gets Out a lot of the Book and wrote the book that The uh, Ritual was based off of and I thought it was really cool. I didn't catch the first go around, but the second time I noticed that they have a scene where Ambar is in the kitchen of this boarding house and there's like a radio playing somewhere and you hear this broadcast and it talks about uh, coming up. They're going to talk about the story about four hikers who are lost in the wilderness of uh, Sweden and more to come and that that's essentially the ritual right there. <laughs> they're they're talking about the ritual now. In the ritual, one of the guys I can't remember his name, but he survives at the end. Spoiler alert! Uh, if you haven't seen the ritual, you really should. Uh, but according to this this radio report, this is apparently happening at the same time as the ritual. And either he hasn't come out of the woods yet, or he never came out of the woods. But uh, very interesting tying that this happens in the same universe as the ritual, and oddly enough. Uh, there's a TV that you kind of catch a little bit of the the corner of it on top of the refrigerator. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe the movie The Ritual is actually playing on that TV. So uh, very interesting Uh, little nods to uh, other Adam Neville works. But uh, i thought it quite cool that this again is taking place in the same universe that the ritual took place in because they are very tonally they're very much uh similar entities uh visually they're very similar and thematically maybe not so much in the extracurricular themes like uh, you know this deals a lot with immigration but in the the themes of the horror Uh, Very much the same because the ritual is about this, these four hikers, uh, they stumble across this group of people living in the Swedish wilderness that are sacrificing people to a, a wood god. And uh, or god of the woods, and we find something again. Spoilers. Uh, find something very similar going on here. Now, the archival movie footage that we saw earlier uh, was all about a doctor, Arthur Wells, and his wife finding this stone box on this uh, this Aztec archaeological dig. We find out that Red and Becker are the sons of arthur wells and that arthur wells was having his wife lure in women to sacrifice to the god of this stone box we only hear this we only hear them talk of this we don't see anything yet yet until they decide to to sacrifice ambar and a couple other i believe they're romanian women who are are living in this this boarding house now this is a point where ambar's cousin beto he's the he's the cousin that she she only met one time in this movie uh he barely knew her mother but you know it's family so he welcomed her into his home was going to uh, set up this job interview if she could get an id and she calls him for help at some point when, when things really start to go down. He shows up looking for Ambar. And, of course, uh, Becker kills him right away. And Becker, who's been talked about as being sick, has, has is very strong and, and big and physically intimidating. And whenever you see him, you always see, you know, he's got a shaved head and you always see these coursing veins ah, in his head. Very unnatural looking. And based on some footage, some tapes that Ambar found, it's this box contains an Aztec god. It's Papalote, who's a, a, an Aztec god of death and rebirth, so to speak. And just based on little clues that you get here and there, going back to Aztec times, people would sacrifice. In this, they, they talk about women, the elderly, and children being sacrificed to Ispapalote and receiving blessings in this case becker is sacrificing these uh, illegal immigrant women to Ispapalot to receive healing from whatever ailment he has and they really play on this almost like a it's it's very addicting like it's a drug like if he if he stops he's not going to he's not going to get the blessings or the curing of this ailment that he has so he has to keep doing this to keep keep that fix, keep the, you know, whatever at bay, whatever sickness he has at bay. But even beyond the the healing that he gets, the blessing that he gets, it's almost played as if it's an addicting uh, circumstance where he's kind of addicted to the power that gives him the, the blessing and the healing uh, from the ailment that he has. It, it very much plays off addiction in this. So they take one of the Romanian girls down, sacrifice her, and then it's Ambar's turn. They take her down, tired of this stone altar, and Becker opens the the door, the, the lid to this box, and we start to see these big hands come out and start pulling itself out. Of course, you, you look inside the box, and it's not just a box it's almost a doorway to some other dimension some other world and this this creature this it's god is it's pulling itself out of this box through this doorway and we see in amber's head a lot through this movie she is haunted not only by the ghosts in this house but by her own mother because we see her slip into dream many times throughout this movie. And usually her mother is at the center of it. And it's never a, a loving interaction between her and her mother. There's almost a, a disapproving feel to it. Which, for for the most part of this movie, at least through the first act, act and a half, two acts, uh, you wonder what is real and what isn't. Is she dreaming all this? Or are the dreams some sort of... Uh, vision because of the box. Uh, it's never really uh, played out as to what it is, but her mother's part in that is very haunting in its own self and very, very telling. Once you realize what happens and once it's Papalote is coming out and it's got his hands its hands around Ambar's head and she we f- we think that her cousin Beto was alive all along and he came and rescued her and they go into this room and she's in this room and then all of a sudden her mother's there and we realize that she's in some sort of dream state or some sort of supernatural state and she's there with her mother and all of a sudden she grabs a pillow and smothers her mom. It's not played like that overtly, but I almost think this isn't her. Because I've heard some reviewers and some some critics saying, well, she killed her mom in the dream and that took away the power of It's Papa lot What I think happened is that this wasn't a dream. This was a memory that this is what she did. She killed her mother in real life because her mother wasn't getting better uh she was tired of being trapped doing nothing but taking care of her mom and i i think she euthanized her mom as a way to escape and ran to the united states Maybe that's why she didn't take the time to do things legally. Uh, she allowed herself to be smuggled in because she had to get away because she had just murdered her mother. Now, I've, I've heard, like I said, uh, people say, well, that's, uh, you know, she killed her mom in this this dream state. And that took away the power of Es Papalote. But I also, I, I don't think that's the case. What I think is, is that it's Papalote uh, took that, what she did to her mother, and accepted that as the sacrifice to her. Does it make one hundred percent complete sense? I I don't know. But there again, like like I've said for for a lot of these movies, there has to be some suspension of disbelief and. Uh, I, I don't know. I didn't read the book, and I haven't heard any talk from the filmmaker, Santiago Mangini, but that's what I think happened. I think Itzpapalot accepted what she did to her mother, killing her mother, the sacrifice she made of her mother to better herself uh, very much in the spirit of Papa Itzpapalot, Itzpapalot accepts sacrifices from people to bless them, and it very much played into the whole story behind Lote. And the Itzpapalotl creature design on this was really cool. I mean, it was so unique and different than a lot of other creatures I've seen in movies like this. It was almost... Human-like in some regards, but creature-like, and not like any other. You know, I've seen movies where there's ancient gods and that sort of thing, and I've never seen an ancient god portrayed like this. It was just very cool. Uh, I'm not going to spoil too much, but because I I can't really describe all the all the things that made it so cool. But that was one of the best parts of this movie was the the design on the It's Papa God. And while this may seem like the climax, I think all encompassing this part of the movie is is the climax. But things don't slow down from there. Of course, Ambar has a confrontation with Red and Becker. She takes that they're about to uh, sacrifice the other Romanian girl. Uh, Ambar goes into the study where Arthur Wells, the the father that red and becker killed that discovered this box uh has all these you know artifacts and she finds uh an aztec sword it almost looks like a big wooden paddle with shards of obsidian and she goes to town on on becker and red and some of it's pretty gruesome uh she she hacks into red she she hacks into Becker, Becker tosses her aside and then steps on her ankle and breaks in its. Probably one of the worst ankle breaks I've seen since Annie Wilkes hobbled Paul Sheldon in misery. But she ends up dispatching a becker with a broken piece of obsidian glass. She slits his throat. He dies, and that leaves Red. She takes Red down and puts him on the altar and essentially sacrifices him to Itzpapalot. And as she's getting ready to walk out of the house, you can tell that Itzpapalot uh, accepts the sacrifice It does Red in. And her broken ankle miraculously heals. And then you see those coursing veins puff out like you saw in Becker throughout this movie. And that realize that she's feeling now the power, the restorative power after making a sacrifice. Uh, She's feeling that power that its papalote can give you. And it's almost like she considers leaving for a second, but then it's like she can't. She starts to get that taste of that power that's running through her veins now and realizes that she's she's going to stay and she's going to find more people to feed to this god and that she's spent all this time going from one cage to another the cage of her mother she escapes that then the cage of being an illegal immigrant who's afraid to be found out to a cage where she's in this boarding house with all these strict rules that that don't make any sense. And now she's caged by this boarding house again because she's essentially now a disciple of Itzpapalot. And the caretaker of this box, this portal for this uh, Aztec god to come through and feed whenever she offers it a sacrifice. And, and a cage of the, the, the power of this addiction. So, all in all, I really did love this movie. Like I said, I thought this was going to be a scary ghost in the house. But the ghosts aren't scary. It's the evil person that owns the house that killed all those people and made them ghosts. And they're going to help the heroine vanquish the the evil killer. And it it was that to a degree. But Adam Neville brought another aspect to this story by, by having Red and Becker not just be killers. Not just killing women because they like to torture women or something sick like that. But because they're sacrificing these women to this ancient Aztec god was just a twist on the end that made what could have been a boring and mundane and very pedestrian plot uh, just made a little something special. And when you add in the cool creature design and the way they gave it, uh, not even an ambiguous end, I think it's fairly obvious that Ambar is going to stay in this house and she's going to continue the sacrifices, which i i guess could lead to a sequel i hope they don't do that i i like it being left and you know we know where she's gonna go we know what she's gonna do we don't need to see all this rehashed again so hopefully they don't do a sequel but it, it lets the mind wander where things go from there and that's that's not a bad thing when it comes to a, a good horror movie. That's one of the things that I, I heard a lot of people complaining about is that they didn't get enough backstory. They didn't get enough into the mythology of It's Papa Lot's and the God and the the sacrifices and things like that. But if you paid attention to the movie, you paid attention to the beginning where they're showing the archival footage, you paid attention to the pieces of artifact and the papers that Ambar goes through in the study, you make out. You don't need to have it spelled out for you that this doctor, this this Arthur Wells, uh, this archaeologist was digging around in aztec ruins found a box that dealt with aztec gods and sacrifice you don't need all that spelled out for you i mean it's all you use the context clues and it's all enough of it's there i don't need to know why it's papalote needs sacrifices uh it's an ancient god uh that likes to bite the heads with its vagina mouth uh It it doesn't need explaining, I don't think. And it leaves a lot to the imagination. And that's not a bad thing. Like I said, the ending, where I know that she's going to stay there. I'm pretty sure, I should say. I'm pretty sure she's going to stay there and continue the sacrifices. I don't need to know all the details of where the story goes from there. Just that this is a a, a bit of a, a... bitter sweet a bleak and sweet ending to what was a very desolate movie the ambar character you felt her her aloneness and you felt her isolation i've watched a lot of movies as of late that really played off isolation and you usually get isolation with the wide shot up high uh, with the lone person or the lone car driving and and a lot of Isolation set up that way, but I I like how this set up isolation in a different way, making her an illegal immigrant, which is a different kind of isolation, making the fact that she's got nowhere to turn. Uh, She can't turn to the police. Uh, She's got no family. Uh, She's got no friends because the one friend she thought she had betrayed her. This movie did a really good job of setting up isolation and in a different way than what we're used to seeing uh, these days. It, It also played into the atmosphere of this house and the haunted nature of that, the haunted nature of Ambar with her mother and these visions and dreams she kept having of her mother. And you knew something wasn't right there. Something didn't feel right. It wasn't as if her mother just drifted off in her sleep and was just coming to say, I love you, honey. And I wish you the best as I'm here in the hereafter. It wasn't like that at all. There was there was tension set there between her and her mother in these these dreams and these visions. So it, they did a really good job with setting the tone with this movie through isolation, through the hauntedness uh, of both the house and Ambar personally. And I thought the effects were really good. Like I said, the the ghosts in this house were done really well. Uh, not that wispy transparent you know cg ghosts Uh, they they felt physical but they felt otherworldly the the glowing reflective eyes was creepy and eerie And some of the ways in which the ghosts were revealed to us was also very creepy. The Becker character, when we're first introduced to him, is very odd and unsettling and very weird. And you don't know what's wrong with this guy. At first, I thought he was one of the ghosts until I realized, oh, that's the brother. Red was sympathetically creepy. Yet there are points where you think that he's not a bad guy. He's just at the mercy of this abusive older brother of his and that he probably wouldn't be doing this If it weren't for the fact that his brother is going to beat the shit out of him and kill him. If he doesn't do what he's told kind of like the relationship between the father and the mother, that's kind of established in, in various ways throughout the movie, you know, she didn't want to sacrifice these girls, but if, if she didn't help her husband sacrifice these girls, then he was going to hurt both the girls and the wife, which of course there's a lot of, you know, metaphor for abusive relationships. Uh, drug addiction throughout this whole movie that you can unpack if if you really like uh, something full of metaphor. But there again, like I said, uh, really love this movie. Uh, between this and The Ritual on Netflix, I'm really interested in Adam Neville and his work. Uh, it's it's one of those things where I, I've enjoyed both these movies so much that are based on his stories that I want to I want to check out some of his books. I want to read. Uh, no one gets out alive I want to read the ritual I want to read some of his uh, he's got tons of collections of short stories he's got several novels so uh, I'm really excited to to check out the work of Adam Neville and really looking forward to seeing what of his works uh, they adapt into a, a movie or a series uh, on Netflix or any other platform uh, in the future because I've enjoyed both uh, the ritual and now uh, no one gets out alive and again, one of those movies I put off watching and I really wish I hadn't had put it off so long because uh, I really this would have been perfect to talk about during the month of October uh, when we were really into to all the spookiness and uh, a good haunted house story. Is always ripe for the picking when it comes to Halloween. But uh, enjoyed. No one gets out alive. I hope you did too. Uh, if you haven't watched it, I hope you do check it out because it is a great movie. I tried not to to give away or talk about too much of what happens, all the weather twos and the y fours and the particulars. But uh, I did talk about a lot of the main beats and and some of the, a lot of spoilers. But uh, if you're like me, a few spoilers never scared me away from from watching anything. So hopefully, if you you haven't watched No One Gets Out Alive, uh, check it out because uh, I, I don't think you'll be disappointed. I think it is, it's is—it's a movie that once you're finished with the 87-minute runtime, you'll be like, I'm glad I watched this. And hopefully you're glad you uh, listened to this and my thoughts on uh, No One Gets Out Alive. want to thank everyone for listening. Tune in for a new episode of Odds Bodkin's Curiosity Shop on Thursday. Uh, really, you know, things are kind of, we, we had so much going on From October through December, things have kind of tailed off. Now, we've got some really good stuff coming up. A lot of good shows out right now. Uh, The Book of Boba Fett's out right now. I'm watching that Netflix show, uh, The Silent Sea, another South Korean uh, sci-fi series uh, but I can't talk about those until they've they finished up. So uh, looking for things to talk about. So uh, I, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to talk about on Thursday's show. But uh, after I'm done recording this, I'm going to get to work. And uh, hopefully soon we'll have some schedules up on our Facebook page. So uh, check us out on Facebook, oddsbodkins Curiosity Shop. Trailers from all the latest movies and shows coming out, as well as uh, articles from some of my favorite places to, to get horror, fantasy, and sci-fi news. Uh, I try to share them as much as I can. And you can find that all on our Facebook page. Please, wherever you're listening to this podcast, please leave a review, subscribe, download it. Uh, whatever you have to do, share it with your, your family and friends who love horror, fantasy, and sci-fi. And please leave a review. Five stars will be awesome. But really, whatever review you give us is greatly appreciated. So until next time. Thank you for visiting Odds Bonkin's Curiosity Shop.